Coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fourth Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. All right, and a happy hump day to you. Oh my gosh, it's cold. Still cold. Even as you're listening this afternoon, uh, I'm actually starting on the show when it's in the teens, and uh, I'm not happy about this. Uh, did you leave your faucets dripping last night? I did, as the condo building management asked us to do. Thankfully, I yet to hear of any burst pipes, and hopefully that is the same wherever you are, and you are staying warm somehow, some way. Uh, so... In case you were wondering, we are experiencing similar temperatures to what uh, Governor Brian Kemp and the Georgia contingent would be experiencing in Davos, Switzerland. Today's high there, about 41. Although tomorrow the high is only going to be 18 there. So yeah, uh, he can keep that right there. Uh, So he's out there at the World Economic Forum, shopping the state to potential investors, companies looking for uh, fertile ground to relocate or set up shop. He even sat on a panel yesterday, a panel discussion about electric vehicle manufacturing, which is not very popular in Republican circles, so he sort of bucks the trend on that. This morning, he did an interview with Bloomberg that I thought was pretty revealing. They pressed him not so much on business issues, but on more of a temperature check on where he stands when it comes to when it's time to kiss the ring to decide you're going to endorse the presumptive nominee of the GOP, one Donald John Trump. Let's take a listen. Straight to it with the next conversation, Governor Brian Kemp, Republican from Georgia. Governor, good afternoon. It's good to see you. Hey, good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Fantastic to have you with us. I'm going to go with the line from the former president, Donald Trump. It's time for the Republican Party to unify, to come together. Are you ready to unify, to come together? Well, I don't think we're seeing that from the other candidates right now. I mean, look, that was a strong win in Iowa, no doubt, but some really bad weather, very low turnout. So we'll see what happens here in the, in the next week. When you look at the election, what are you looking to understand whether Trump 2.0 is going to be the same as Trump 1.0? Is this going to be a different type of presidency from everything that you've got gathered? Well, look, I don't know. You probably have to ask him about that. I've, you know, said for a long time now, we need to be forward thinking. We need to tell people, you know, what we stand for, what we're going to do. We don't need to be looking in the rearview mirror and uh, relitigating the 2020 election and really, you know, lay out for the American people what it is we're going to do to, for them to help fight through, you know, 40-year high Joe Biden inflation, disaster at the border, the weakness that we're seeing in the world and a lot of other things. And that's what I've been urging the candidates to do. And that would go for former President Trump as well. Interesting, of course, that he sticks to the GOP talking points, tagging Joe Biden with the inflation that the globe experienced. Somehow Joe Biden influenced inflation globally. Worse, in fact, in other countries than in the United States. You have to keep pointing this stuff out, folks, as they keep trying to pin inflation on Joe Biden erroneously. No, it's not even erroneous because to say erroneous would to be saying they're accidentally or mistakenly attributing uh, inflationary issues to Joe Biden. It's not an accident that they're doing that. It's not a mistake they're making. They are willfully misrepresenting facts and distorting the truth, because that is the hallmark of the current GOP, in that when facts and logic and data and math and science don't jibe with their preconceived notions or their need to win offices, they have to distort the facts. Now, make no mistake, 
Brian Kemp wants nothing to do with having to endorse Donald Trump in a presidential election. But he is a week or two, maybe a month tops from having to swallow that bitter pill and decide, do I endorse Donald Trump or do I begrudgingly say nothing or do I say we can't have Donald Trump and then have to walk back all you said about the Biden inflation and the disastrous border policy, which, by the way, as we mentioned yesterday, has been a multi-pronged effort since the summer of 2021 to actually deal with root causation of migration from South and Central America versus slapping up Band-Aids like walls and detention. Too complex, too cerebral a policy solution for the likes of Brian Kemp and or the base that he's trying to influence with his spin and misinformation. But former President Trump wants to relitigate 2020. He was just talking about it last night. He continues, goes back to your state of Georgia, as you know. He wants Fonnie Willis, the district attorney, to be removed. Uh, there's lots of questions about potentially a relationship she had with the prosecutor. How are you going to wade in on that? Okay, here we go. This gets juicy. Well, I didn't say always listen to what I said. I was just saying what my thoughts were, and that's for every candidate to decide. But look, there's some, you know, uh, months ago I was warning people uh, there wasn't evidence to go after Fonnie Willis. And, and, uh, but now there's some troubling things that have been, you know, accusations that have been made, and I think the judge will get to the bottom of that. Uh, that's playing out right now. We've got a, a legislation we passed for district attorney oversight that uh, ended up in the courts, and so we're going to have to re-legislate that this year, which we're in the process of doing right now in our legislative session. But uh, there's ways to, to address that, and we need to let the legal process play out. But do you think Willis should be removed? Well, I wouldn't be able to speak to that because I haven't seen uh, the evidence. That's right, because there has yet to be any evidence presented I think uh, at the very least, if the accusations are true, uh, it is very troubling. And I feel certain uh, that the judge will rule in the right way to make sure that, you know, uh, President Trump and anybody else is being treated fairly. So let's go back to what the timeline is going to look like for the political space in the United States. You say a lot of those candidates are not ready to coalesce just yet around the former president. What I'm hearing is everyone's waiting for New Hampshire. Let's give Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley some space. And if, but if Trump wins New Hampshire, is that a time when you're going to say, okay, I'm ready to endorse him? Well, I think it depends on kind of what, what happens, you know, how big a win it is, if that happens, if somebody else wins, what happens. I mean, I wouldn't want to speculate on that. I know I'm staying focused on the great state of Georgia. <laughs> I mean, every single one of our legislators is going to be on the ticket with whoever our nominee is. And so we're doing things right now to make sure that we hold our majorities and keep our state moving in the right direction, like cutting taxes and, you know, doing, we've sent $5 billion back to hardworking Georgia to help them fight through this bad policies in Washington, D.C. and 40-year high inflation. And Hang on. He just said he sent back $5 billion to taxpayers, which is really not all that different than what the federal government did, more under Trump, by the way, than under Joe Biden, by sending stimulus money out during the pandemic to help folks get through the pandemic, the shutdown, the recovery. But when he does it, it's okay when he, by the way, again, spin, distortion, misinformation, tries to attribute the inflationary issues that the globe is suffering, that the U.S. has had to navigate through, and by the way, suffered far less than most countries have, 
he attributes it all to Joe Biden when I believe it's like two to one the amount of money that went out via stimulus under Donald Trump because then it was trying to save the economy so he could win re-election. Then Joe Biden doled out. And when you factor in corporate greed, just profit, just pure profit on top of profit already for about 40% of the cost increases. And then you figure if the other 60% has to do with stimulus and two-thirds of that stimulus came from Donald Trump, then that's another 40%. So 80% of the inflationary issues that we all had to deal with had nothing to do with Joe Biden. Meaning maybe if you want to pin blame on Joe Biden, maybe 20% belongs to Joe Biden, but twice as much to Donald Trump. And yet they're not mathing that math at all because got to win seats. You look at Georgia right now, we've got a $16 billion uh, surplus. We're working on cutting our state income tax. You look at California, you know, they got a 35 or a 45 or a $55 billion deficit, depending on who you believe, and they're raising taxes. And so- Actually, what he leaves out is that in 2022, California had a $72 billion surplus in revenue. In 2023, that was $88.8 billion in surplus revenue. And when he talks about California raising taxes, yes, they are raising taxes on those who make a million dollars or more. It went up 1.1%. And by the way, that increase doesn't apply to all of their income. It applies to all of their income over $1 million. Uh, anyway, let me let him continue on his partisan rant. And so I think yeah. it shows really uh, what's going on in the states. And that's what I'm focused on to help our legislators and, and help us just let people uh, in Georgia and around the country see what the Georgia way is and why we've been productive, why our state's doing great economically. Governor, that's what we want to talk about. I think what's amazing to us over the last couple of days in Davos, Switzerland, people want to ask about who's next in the White House. What are they going to do? When you talk to American businesses, we had Mike Worth of Chevron sitting in your chair just yesterday. He's talking about policy at the state level in California and the ease or difficulty of doing business. Difficulty in California. How do you want to position Georgia versus, say, Texas, Florida? Do you think you are the next big state to attract that kind of talent in the same way they have done? Well, we have been doing that, and we're competing with Texas and Florida and Tennessee and South Carolina and other, a lot of other great southern states. I mean, first time ever, you got GDP in the south when you include Texas outpacing the northeast. I mean, it's incredible to think about that. So you've got a lot of people that are fleeing places like California, New York, and Chicago coming uh, to right-to-work states like Georgia. Remember now, right to work meaning hard as hell to collectively bargain so that you can all make better wages. Uh, states like Georgia that have good business-friendly environments that are cutting taxes. States like Georgia that has a lot of clean energy. I mean, we have uh, two new nuclear reactors we're building. One of them's online, Vogel 3, Vogel 4 will be soon. We're doing as much solar you know, for our size of state as anybody in the country. And so that's why you're seeing major corporations from around the country and around the world that want to have a presence. And uh, we've been visiting with a lot of those here in Davos, but, you know, great partners like Hyundai and others. How much did the Inflation Reduction Act of Joe Biden actually help your state quite a bit? Well, it's really kind of hurt us in a lot of different ways, believe it or not. When you think about this, we had the Hyundai announcement, we had Rivian, we had the SK battery plant, all before the IRA uh, ever passed. Yeah, but what he leaves out is that according to this report by the advocacy group Climate Power, Georgia ranked as the second highest state in America for new private sector clean energy project announcements since the passage of this incentive-heavy Inflation Reduction Act in August of 2022. 
Just a coincidence, I'm guessing. I sent a letter to our two U.S. senators explaining to them, Washington, D.C. right now is picking winners and losers with the IRA. They're helping the union-backed automobile producers, and they're hurting uh, the, the folks that we have coming to Georgia. Uh, my worry is that you know them manipulating the market, uh, forcing the market on people is actually going to hurt more than it's helping. Um, but look, there's a lot of money out there. A lot of these corporations now that's passed are taking advantage of it. And so we're just making sure that people know that Georgia's a place to be uh, if they are going to do something like that. And that's what we've seen. Exactly, because Georgia is the second highest state in the country for a new private sector clean energy project since the Inflation Reduction Act passed in August of 2022. Yes, I'm repeating myself. I mean, we've seen like 40 different projects come since we did the Hyundai announcement. Exactly, and the Inflation Reduction Act played a large role in that, whether he wants to admit it or not. Back to hear him tap dance on being a clean energy and Republican governor when the Ron Show returns on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Welcome back to the Ron Show for Wednesday, and we are fortunate that we're not seeing what we saw about a year, what, 13 months ago, with the rampant pipes bursting, and folks, in fact, I was smack dab in the middle of that two Christmases ago, was wrapping up Christmas Eve dinner at my place with some friends when my buddies Nick and Greg, who were out of town to see their family, asked me to cat sit for them. I'm like, okay, no big deal. And then I got the frantic call around 9.30 that night that uh, someone's pipes had burst a floor or two above them in their condo building in Atlantic Station and asked me to go check on their cat and their condo. And I went there and it was <laughs> it was like frozen Niagara. It was, oh my God. Oh, so grateful we're not having to deal with that this year. And I don't know if it's just because a lot of us learned those lessons and have the uh, faucets dripping overnight. And by the way, the forecast, it looks like we'll need to do that again yeah, maybe not tonight, but this weekend, Friday night, Saturday night, just be prepared to have the uh, faucets dripping again as we expect temperatures into the teens. Anyway, just so grateful that we're not dealing with that. Now, I don't know about y'all, but when we have these bitter cold snaps, first of all, I'm, I'm a pet person, and I always worry about the stray dogs and stray cats, where they go. And in a lot of cases, uh, you'll see uh, folks on social media remind you to tap the hood of your car before you crank it, because that's where cats and kittens often like to go to huddle up and stay as warm as possible. But I also wonder, like, where are the homeless folks going? And cities like Atlanta open warming centers all the time. Even those who like to be a little more independent and stay in tents along roadsides and under overpasses, et cetera, and so on, find themselves going to warming stations, even just temporarily. I have a great story about that that I want to touch on a little bit, but I want to finish up this look into Governor Brian Kemp's interview on Bloomberg earlier today, where he was posed a question that I've often wondered, how does a Republican governor who is so pro-EV square that embrace of economic development when he's a member of a party that doesn't care to discuss climate change, and has been anti-green energy up until just recently, and in many cases still is. Yeah, you're becoming almost this bastion of green energy. How is you as a Republican governor talking about climate change? Because that's part of this electrification of the American grid. Well, it's because we're letting the market work in Georgia, and people that wanted to build electric vehicles came to us and said, hey, we're looking to build a plant. Um, what do you? What can you guys offer in the state of Georgia? And we told them we can offer 
you know, cheap, reliable power. Labor. Oh, sorry. Thought he was going to say labor. A lot of it that's this green. We got a great workforce. That he and his party discourages from collectively bargaining so that they can continue to benefit when their companies profit. We had one of the best sites in the country at the, at the Meta plant that Hyundai chose and, and also the East Atlanta mega site that Rivian chose. We've got Kia that's expanding EV line. So it was not the government trying to force them to do something like they're doing in states like California. It's basically saying, what does your company want? What do you need? And how can we help you achieve that goal? And a lot of what enables that investment to happen is the bipartisan infrastructure law that President Biden signed into law. Georgia is slated to receive a minimum of $8.9 billion for roads, $225 million for bridges, $100 million for broadband, $1.4 billion for public transportation, $619 million for airports, $8 million for the Port of Savannah, $135 million for resilient infrastructure, including EV charging stations, and additional funds for resilient infrastructure for the electric grid. And by the way, when you add all that up, you're looking at $11.787 billion in investment by the federal government into the state of Georgia. And these are necessary projects, which means if the federal government said, hey, Georgia, we're going to need you to pay that money back, and they're not, it would nearly wipe out that $16 billion surplus that the state has racked up, which, by the way, they racked up by underspending. From fiscal year 2019 through 2024, state spending failed to keep pace with inflation and population growth, according to the Georgia Budget and Policy Institute. Between FY 2019 and FY 2024, they say spending has averaged an anemic annual increase of 3.5% per year, even as inflation averaged 4.2% per year and statewide population increased by an estimated 481,000 residents during the same period. My point is, in general, with Governor Brian Kemp, there's always more to the story than he's willing to tell. Uh, what about his political future ambitions? Yeah, they went there. You appeared recently with Governor Glenn Youngkin of Virginia, who I recently interviewed as well, and you sat with him, and everyone on Twitter was saying, this should be the ticket. I know you're sitting out 2024. What's your future plans? Is it the Senate? Is it the White House? <laughs> well, my future plans is to make sure that Georgia legislators and the state of Georgia <laughs> well uh, stays, stays a Republican <laughs> in 24. I, I have, have told ask. people, you know, like my first point, we got we to gotta tell people what we're for. We, we cannot get distracted. We need to stay focused on 24. We can worry about 26, 28, whatever. Uh, down the road after that. Governor, that was a politician's answer. <laughs> well, That's the truth. I'm going to offend the rest of the South. Best barbecue in the South, Georgia. There's no no With, question. Without a doubt. Without <laughs> a doubt. Eight mails begins Governor, now. thank you. Good to see you. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Governor Brian Kemp of Georgia. The international folk in the non-Southern weighing in on barbecue. It's always cute. It's sort of panderous, but we eat that up, don't we? And we eat that up. Yo, real quick, I did say I was going to tell you about the project to house the houseless in... Not just cold weather, but year-round circumstances. Uh, the Supporter Report reporting, and I'll share this in the show notes at ronshowetl.com, that the historic Oddfellows building on Arben, Auburn Avenue is going to get a $1.25 million investment to renovate and preserve this historic old building. It's at 250 Auburn Avenue, once home to an African-American fraternal organization, and the Supporter Report says it will soon be home to a Georgia Works year-long housing program for chronically homeless men. The renovated building will house up to 164 men at any one time, as well as four retail stores to be leased to local businesses below market rate. Fantastic opportunity to both uh, do some good in the community for those who need it most, and also an opportunity for some local businesses to have somewhere to start up at below market rate. 
the breakdown here, Invest Atlanta gave a $1.25 million East Side Tax Allocation District fund grant to the project. The city's official economic development authority created the Tax Allocation District in 2003 to help rebuild the city's downtown area by attracting new private investment. That's great stuff. Uh, the story continues, while the interior will be renovated to accommodate Georgia Works needs, the facade will stay intact under the historic preservation of Easements Atlanta, a nonprofit organization formed to protect significant historic properties while giving property owners a tax deduction. Fantastic. I'm reading through this and I don't see anything about housing the homeless cats. But they stay on my mind. My gosh, I worry about those little critters so much. And I shared this on my personal social media yesterday, and I will do this at ronchoatl.com as well, on Facebook and Twitter as well. Sweet story about this beige ginger cat named Peyton that the DeKalb Humane Society took in. They found him in a barn, I believe, in the bitter cold, and they took care of him and fed him. He passed away in their care. He was an elder cat, but he went out surrounded by love and with a full belly. More Roncho after this on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, or wherever you podcast. This is The Ron Show on America One Radio. So last segment of the show, I will dive into some other pretty interesting finds in an Atlanta Journal-Constitution likely voter in Georgia poll. Let me just go ahead and tease you a little bit and tell you that there appear to be some issues that a vast majority, not a slim, but a vast majority of Georgia voters see more eye to eye with Democrats than they do with Republicans on. But of course, gerrymandering and the governor's office, the state house, Senate, and Georgia Supreme Court all being run by the Republican Party, a lot of those issues, even the fact that two-thirds of Georgia voters want to see some changes on things like Medicaid expansion, for example, or might be against school vouchers, those who have the majority under the gold dome and in the governor's office, eh, do they care? I'm not so sure they do. Uh, I do want to dive into one of the first uh, House hearings on immigration. Remember yesterday, I, you, know, you may have known about this, I didn't. It brought to light anyway on the show uh, when I discovered in a pretty heated Twitter social media exchange that there has been this policy in place, the Biden-Harris initiative, called the U.S. Strategy for Addressing the Root Causes of Migration in Central America. Long story short, they're trying to address what's causing folks to flee their native countries in South and Central America, in Latin America, to our southern border. What a novel concept, right? Instead of saying, uh, let's just throw a wall up and try and keep them away, or uh, throw them in detention, which costs money, or deport that, which costs money. Uh, we could, I don't know, figure out why folks are fleeing their native lands to come here in the first place. It's not to sit on their butt and draw welfare. It's not that at all. In fact, if you think about it, how many of you have ever worked a job that someone who works under the radar in this country who might be here illegally was doing before? Anyone? Anyone? So anyway, first uh, House uh, Immigration Committee hearing today, and I want to uh, share with you some sound bites. You know me, I'm a big Jamie Raskin fan. Uh, Jamie Raskin uh, led off with uh, this nice little tirade. Much. Uh, today our colleagues are using their first full committee hearing of the year to distract from the depressing reality that they failed to bring forward even a single piece of serious bipartisan legislation, mm -hmm. much less 
a bipartisan bill to improve our immigration system and confront our major challenges on the southern border. The 118th Congress is shaping up to be one of the most unproductive in American history, with only 34 bills signed into law in 2023, a small fraction of the number typically enacted in a year. They simply have no program for America and just operate at the beck and call of Donald Trump. It's become obvious that Trump's party doesn't want immigration solutions at the border. They want immigration problems to run against. The other main issue they used to demagogue, abortion, is no longer available to them because the, because the country's negative response to the Supreme Court's destruction of Roe versus Wade right. in 2022 demonstrates this is still a country that prizes freedom, mm -hmm. rejects theocratic repression, and opposes the mega Republicans' eagerness to pass a national law banning abortion rights. So they can't talk about those plans anymore. The cat's got their tongue. So with no positive program on infrastructure, health care, education, or anything else to run on, the do-nothing MAGA Republicans are hoping that simply demagoguing the issue of immigration, while not addressing it in any serious way, mm -hmm. will be their ticket back to the White House. Then Trump can resume the real work that he wants to accomplish, pocketing for himself and his family tens of millions or billions of dollars from foreign governments like communist China and the murderous monarchs of Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, and Qatar, and so on. Representative Raskin continued. Rather than joining Democrats and Biden in good faith, bipartisan negotiations mm -hmm. to make progress on immigration, they are taking orders from Donald Trump and actively obstructing a bipartisan border deal. Just as Trump is openly hoping for an economic downturn yeah. in our robust low unemployment economy, they're hoping for chaos at the border mm -hmm. and trying to stop us from preventing it. These tactics are accompanied by dangerous rhetoric. MAGA Republicans continue to invoke white supremacist, anti-immigration fantasies and conspiracy theories. It's been almost a full year since I invited the good chairman and my Republican colleagues to join oversight Democrats in condemning the great replacement theory, and still they fail to denounce this shameful doctrine which has been invoked by numerous racist and anti-Semitic mass shooters and murderers across the country. America is not a great country in spite of immigrants. We're a great country because of immigrants. Now, remember yesterday, or let me point you back to yesterday's show, when I pointed out that a former Trump cabinet official, Richard Grinnell, has been in Guatemala sowing the seeds of distrust in their electoral process. Sound familiar? Guatemala, you'll take notes just elected a progressive president. And Richard Grinnell, among those from foreign countries, down there stirring the pot, leading conservatives in Congress in Guatemala to question the outcome, to delay the inauguration. Does any of this sound familiar to you? Understand that Guatemala is one of the leading countries when it comes to outmigration to the United States. Understand as well that Guatemala has been governed by conservatism for a very long time. It apparently is not working there. So why would a former Trump cabinet official, Richard Grinnell, be in Guatemala trying to, all he can subvertively, undermine democracy in Guatemala to effect change? Could it be that there is the groundwork laid since July of 2021 by the Biden-Harris administration to work with nations like Guatemala 
to address the root causes of migration in Central America, just as the program is titled, U.S. Strategy for Addressing the Root Causes of Migration in Central America. Representative Raskin said, Republicans have no interest in solving the immigration crisis. They want to run against it. And you see this happening, not just on the national stage, but you see this happening along the border in Texas. People are literally dying because you have this frenzy of white nationalists and hyperbolic drivel coming from the offices of people like the governor of Texas, who has his state officials blocking Border Patrol agents from entering parks where they can rescue people who literally drowned last week in the Rio Grande River. Representative Raskin actually wanted to hear from Border Patrol agents from prior interviews, and he wanted to have those transcripts brought into the record. Listen to how that went. I have a unanimous consent request for uh, introduction to the record uh, about the tran- a memo on transcribed interviews of these patrol chief uh, patrol agents. Without and, objection. To and and uh, but I, if I could ask you also, Mr. Chairman, can we release those nine Border Patrol transcripts from last year um, of, of all of these agents who testified? We'll get back with you. That was a, the... Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Terrific. But no, no. Oh. I said I'm happy to take that issue up with you. Point of order. Um, uh, today's hearings about the border crisis, a crisis that this administration has created. We've heard the mayor of New York City. We've heard the mayor of Washington, D.C. We've heard Reclaim your time. mayors all over the United States talk about this issue. We have highly qualified witnesses here to discuss this serious matter. So uh, I suggest that uh, the questions are addressed to the witnesses today. We have good witnesses. So, let's, Mr. Let's, Chairman, point of order. Stage point. Um, I would just like to inquire from the chairman uh, as to why there would be resistance. That's, to not, a That's not, a uh, not a point of order. That's not a point of order. Not a point of order. The border right. patrol agents. That not a point you of order. Interviewed and why you don't want the public to see those transcripts. Stage your point. Yeah. Are we going to after you've ruled on something not being a point of order? Are we going to allow members to just keep talking no, over you? She's out of order. All right. That pushback you were hearing was from Representative Melanie Stansbury from the border state of New Mexico. Now, remember, I mentioned that since July of 2021, the Biden-Harris administration, by the way, led by Kamala Harris, the vice president, who a lot of people say, oh, she doesn't do anything. She's spearheading this. They have initiated what is called the U.S. strategy for addressing the root causes of migration in Central America. Uh, This is a, a little nice little PDF. It's all of 20 pages and actually 18 when you take away the cover and end pages, and actually 17 when you take away the large page that is the table of contents. What I'm saying is it's not a difficult read, but it doesn't fit on a bumper sticker. What fits on a bumper sticker are slogans like uh, build the wall or give us alligator moats or barbed wires in the Rio Grande. See, that's the sort of simplistic stuff that fits on a wall. So Representative Robert Garcia from another border state, California, was questioning David Beer, who is the Associate Director of Immigration Studies at the Cato Institute, about some of the policy options that MAGA Republicans and Donald Trump have offered. And if you don't mind, I'd like to get your thoughts on some potential border solutions that we've actually heard a few times. Here I have uh, a poster 
And if you see it, it's got these alligators uh, on, on a moat. Um, and they're at, the, they're at the border. And this one's got a little hat. Well, do you think it'd be a good idea to build a water-filled trench filled with alligators along the border? That would be a misuse of taxpayer dollars and extremely inhumane. Hmm? So you think it would be inhumane to build a moat, put alligators in them along the border? That would not be a good idea. No. What if we instead ordered soldiers to shoot migrants in the legs and stop them from coming to the U.S.? Would that be a good idea? No, that would be uh, attempted murder. What about the wall that Trump, of course, was, was building? Would it be better instead if we electrified it and put spikes at the top of, of, of the wall? That would dramatically increase uh, the cost that Border Patrol would incur. We've already seen how Border Patrol's wall has caused so many more injuries. They have taken millions of dollars uh, to care for the people who have suffered injuries falling from that wall. And, and Mr. Beer, um, what if instead we launched military strikes against targets in northern Mexico? Would that make the border, you think, more or less secure? It would make it less secure. Creating a crisis in Mexico would probably be the best thing you could do to increase illegal immigration. I only ask you all these hmm. questions because these are all proposals by the Republican frontrunner for the nomination, Donald Trump, former President Donald Trump, every single one of the ideas, alligator moats, missiles into Mexico, shooting migrants in the legs, putting spikes on top of the wall. These are all the ideas on how to make our border system and our immigration system more fair according to Donald Trump. So obviously Donald Trump has no idea what he's talking about. And it's over and over we're seeing these horrific ideas. And by the way, did he steal a lot of this from the Hunger Games or something? <laughs> These all just sound like ideas from the Hunger Games. Okay, to close out this segment and to sort of encapsulate the point that I'm trying to make and have been for a couple of days now, and actually for quite a while, the Republican Party has no interest in solving the immigration crisis. They like running against it because it continues to bring voters to the polls. Angry voters! The ones who are scared of the white replacement theory. I'm sorry, the great replacement theory. Freudian. Uh, or worried about their jobs. And, and again... How many of you have been fruit pickers? How many of you have worked in chicken processing plants? How many of you were domestics or landscapers that had someone? I'll give you the construction industry. I'll give you, you know what? Actually, I'll give you some of the landscaping. But again, when has the GOP ever gone after the employers? Again, if you don't want cats on your porch, you don't put out kibble, right? Hmm. So anyway, uh, Representative Jared Moskowitz really encapsulates this. And am I fangirling over this guy or what? He is kind of working it. Take a listen to his full remarks in the immigration hearing today, where he once again just takes the GOP's lunch. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. You know, we have failed to pass comprehensive immigration reform up here for decades. But if you listen to the witnesses, some of them, and if you listen to my colleagues, you would think the world didn't begin until President Biden was elected. You would think it was dinosaurs, the wheel, Jesus, the world was flat, the world was round, Biden was elected, every problem. I mean, he is old enough, right? I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Jeez, lighten up. You know, people pretend like everything was just perfect. But you know what? One of my colleagues, when bringing up statistics, showed why this is a farce. She brought up that President Obama deported more people than President Trump. In fact, President Obama deported more people in each term than President Trump. Mm. Well, hold on a second. 
If the border wasn't a problem until President Biden was elected, then how were we deporting all of these people in administrations before Trump was elected? It's because this situation has been going on for decades. So stop lying to the American people that none of this happened until President Biden was elected. <clears throat> yes, my, my colleagues passed HR2. They did. It was a wonderful messaging bill. They knew when they passed it, it was dead on arrival in the Senate. And see, that's what this place does. The Senate passes bills that are dead in the House. The House passes bills that are dead in the Senate. <clears throat> they wash their hands with it, declare victory, and say, we did something. Okay? It's fake. You don't pass a bill that you know the other chamber isn't going to take and say, solve the problem. And it goes for the Senate, too. It's just not on, not on the House. And by the way, there were some good policies in H.R. 2. There are things in H.R. 2 that I would vote for. There are things in H.R. 2 that are bipartisan to help secure the border. But there were things in H.R. 2 that were outrageous because it was never meant to become law. There are things in H.R. 2 that would prevent, potentially prevent, Jews escaping the Holocaust from coming in to the country. Because there's all sorts of changes to asylum. There's all sorts of, if you travel through a third country, you can't come in. There's all sorts of language in there that, again, was never meant to become law. And I don't think my colleagues, by the way, put that in there because they would want to prevent Jews from coming into this country. But we've seen what happens when there is language and laws that isn't intended, like what happened in the St. Louis in 1939, where there were laws that prevented Jews on a ship escaping Germany. We denied them because we applied things that weren't meant for that situation. And so, look, you don't have to, you don't have to listen to me, right? My colleagues don't have to listen to me. I want them to listen to their own colleagues, their own colleagues. Chip Roy, who is a conservative Freedom Caucus member, has said President Trump has failed to secure the border. <laughs> Ron DeSantis, who ran wall commercials in order to become governor, said Trump didn't bid the wall and Mexico didn't pay for it. Yeah. Okay, and, and, and Mr. Holman, I appreciate your energy and passion for children. And I appreciate that you have said that, you know, have you seen terrible things that keep you up at night? I have. I've seen parents in my neighborhood bury dozens of kids because they died at school. Mm. Because mentally ill people have access to weapons in this country mm. and body armor and go into movie theaters and churches and schools and shopping malls and gun down children. Mm -hmm. You want to talk about a wall? You're talking to a wall. They're a wall. They don't want to help kids. <laughs> By the way, they don't want to solve <laughs> this issue either. Oh, man. Again, don't listen to me. Just listen to the speaker who was caught on a call the other day saying that we can't solve the border crisis until after the election. Bloop. By the way, here's Congressman Troy Niels giving it all away. Giving it all away. Let's read this. Let me tell you, when he's talking about immigration, let me tell you, I'm not willing to do a darn thing right now to help a Democrat, to help Joe Biden's approval rating. I will not help the Democrats try to improve this man's dismal approved ratings. I'm not going to do it. Mm -hmm. He's saying he's not going to do anything on the border. And he's from Texas, which needs help. He's not going to do anything because he doesn't want to give Joe Biden a win. You have members of this committee 
that have threatened to vacate the speaker again if they do anything on the border. Senator John Thune has said this is a unique opportunity. He said when Trump was president and Republicans controlled both chambers, they couldn't get done the policies that are being discussed now. So look, I'm willing to do stuff on the border. I'm willing to do it. But they're not willing to do it because they're doing what people hate about this place. They want to use it to raise money. They want to use it to politicize it. But they don't want to solve the issue. There's a deal on the table. They can solve the issue. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Damn. Straight gas. That man threw straight gas. I only hate that it took him five and a half minutes to do it because it should be running on loop as a commercial in radio and television between now and November. Anyway, back after this. The Ron Show. One more segment here on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. All right, final segment of The Ron Show for Wednesday. And it's going to be a quickie. Hey-oh. Uh, unfortunately, that last one went really long. But I, you know, I keep coming back to immigration because it is always at or near the top of issues that conservatives say that they are most concerned about when voting. And I want you to be informed when you have these dialogues with your conservative friends or coworkers or family members. God bless you. Uh, so here is something that I found pretty interesting. Maya Prabhu in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution revealing some other things that we uncovered in a recent Atlanta Journal-Constitution poll. Uh, not only did we discover that <laughs> Donald Trump leads... Uh, amongst uh, voters who have decided who they're going to vote for in the state of Georgia by a 45 to 37 margin. And again, I say, remember, 50% is the number. And if you're looking at 45, 37, what is that, 82? If you're looking at 18% that haven't voted yet, you figure at least half of them are going to vote. And is that 9% good enough if it's all going to Biden? And I do think that Biden sort of has more opportunity growth than Trump does, does that give Biden the edge? And if it all goes to Joe Biden, then it does by another slim majority. Uh, anyway, some other things that I thought I'd point out. Again, this is a GOP-led state, right? The GOP wins the governor's office, all the constitutional offices. Uh, obviously, the, the Senate races, I put asterisks by them because they choose poor candidates and Donald Trump endorses them and sometimes is on the ticket and helps uh, Democrats show up to vote or independents who don't like Donald Trump show up to vote and help Democrats win. There are other things uh, on this poll that seem to indicate that Georgia is a purpley bluish maybe state. I mean, not yet, but it's very much trending there. Or at the very least that Republicans in office don't really know what their constituents want. Nearly two thirds of Georgia voters, Maya Prabhu writes, said they oppose using public money to pay for private school support while more than two-thirds said they back expanding Medicaid eligibility, according to that new poll by the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. In addition, Maya writes, an overwhelming majority of Georgia voters say they support giving residents the ability to petition to put issues on the ballot. Hold on, let me clear my throat. <coughs> Cop city. <coughs> Sorry. Maya writes, all three are topics expected to be debated this year by the General Assembly and by and large, voters express confidence in their elected lawmakers. <laughs> what? A majority of 54% of Georgia voters polled said they have, quote, some confidence in the lawmakers' abilities to govern. About 13% said they had, quote, quite a lot of confidence in the legislature, and some 7% said they had a great deal of confidence. Make that make sense. I don't get it. Uh, going down the little laundry list of issues, school vouchers. 
Georgia legislature is considering legislation that would allow the use of taxpayer funds to pay for private schooling in some circumstances. Do you support or oppose? Thirty or I'm sorry, twenty percent strongly uh, support. Fifteen somewhat. That's thirty-five percent, and it goes downhill from there. There's no triangulation from there. Thirty-five percent. Only thirty-five percent of those polled said that they are either somewhat or strongly in favor of school vouchers. Hmm. When you get to Medicaid expansion, should Georgia expand eligibility for Medicaid, which provides health care for some poor Georgians to cover all the state's uninsured poor? 69% said yes. 9% don't know. At least 22% who oppose. The will of the majority? GOP ain't about that. That's going to do it for the Ron Show. Back here tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. on the American One Radio app, AmericanRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Show notes, RonShowATL.com. Have a good one.